Hello and welcome back. This is Repros for Iowa. I'm your host, Micah Doolin. My pronouns are they, them, she. So today is December 4th. We had our abortion rights rally for Dobbs v. Jackson's Women's Health Organization today. Um, We met at the Pentecrest at the University of Iowa and we stood out and spoke up for our abortion rights and up and we you know, did our best to uphold Roe v. Wade. Um, I'm super proud of everyone who took their time to come out on this very cold Saturday to show up for abortion rights. It's meant a lot to me and it made me super proud um, to live in this area. Um, We had speakers from a lot of different organizations like Advocates for Social Justice, Great Plains Action Society, and the DSA, and more. We opened up the mic for everyone to speak. Um, Heather, who I've interviewed before in episode three, was able to speak. And yeah, it was just a really good time, and my heart is so full right now. Um, You know, I had to do a KCRG interview and a Little Village Magazine interview, and that was pretty exciting. Um, I've never been interviewed like this before, Um, so it was a little nerve-wracking, but I think I did it. I think, you know, we got through it. Um, I don't want to talk too much longer about that. Um, We are live on Facebook um, with that event. We went live, Um, so if you're interested in watching the event, Go ahead and check it out. It's pretty great. Um, got a lot of good speakers, and it's really informative. Um, so I just wanted to do a quick mental health check-in um, because I am emotionally and mentally exhausted today. Um, you know, this we've been planning this rally for a long time, and it's been taking a lot of energy out of me, as well as just trying to do this podcast. So uh, for the rest of this weekend, I'm just going to tune out and play video games with my um, boyfriend, uh, my ever waiting on me boyfriend. Um, he is such a supportive person. Um, he was there. He helped me today get set up. And um, I just want to make sure that I am trying to spend time with him and to um, keep that relationship uh, at its finest, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, I'm really tired today. Um, not going to lie. Um, but I am still sober. We are plugging our along in our sobriety, in my sobriety. Sorry, I don't know why I said R. But yeah, um, I'm still sober and it's been a interesting week. Like I said earlier this week, um, I had some cravings of alcohol, but I was able to ward that off. And then, um, yeah, I'm just really glad that I'm still sober. Um, so today I have an interview with Ryan Allison. He um, is a friend and he reached out to me because he sh- also struggles with mental health issues and he is also sober as well. He's been sober for a really long time. So he wanted to come on to the podcast to share his story and talk about that. Um, and yeah, it's he gets into his story with um, and his struggles with schizophrenia and alcohol use and drug use and um, so trigger warning, there are, there's going to be talks about mental illness and um, drug use, um, but it's a really good story, um, and he kind of ties um, reproductive freedom into that as well. Um, so the reason why I wanted to have somebody come on to talk about mental health issues is because, you know, I suffer from it, he suffers from it, and because we need to talk about these things. Um, mental health is very stigmatized, and mental health crisis, um, the mental health crisis is rising, um, especially because of the pandemic. It's getting really bad, and we need to be open and honest with each other about these things. Um, we need to make it less stigmatized. 
and we need to make sure that we are fighting for access to mental health care services. I have links to a bunch of articles, as always, as well as the Foundation 2 Crisis Line and the Mobile Crisis Outreach of Johnson County. I'll put that number in the show notes, as well as all the a big, huge list of Johnson County crisis services. Um, because, yeah, people need to be, make sure that they know that they have resources out there. Um, for if they're going through something. Um, I just want to say to anybody listening who's struggling right now that you're not alone. I know what it's like. And if you ever need somebody to reach out to, please feel free to reach out to me. My door is always open, especially when it comes to mental health and sobriety. Um, so let's get to the interview. It's a pretty long interview, but it's a good one as always. Um, thank you for listening. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like your best bang for your buck. Uh, four card reading, um, it's like three cards are your one's your indicator card, and then there's like a, a like the problem, what the problem is, and the solution, and then the top card is a mystery card. So it's kind of cool because like I flip the three over, and then like I don't flip the top one until the end, and then you're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> so there's the mystery card, which is kind of cool. That's my own little twist on it. I've been doing it for a while, but I didn't do it for money ever really. So, but now I'm broke, and I'm like, I gotta do something. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah that's cool yeah i i will definitely have to pay you to do that because i like to you know support people so yeah and i think you enjoyed it you enjoy it too you get something out of it it's not just you know it's a definitely something that i think you could you could gain some clarity from and some kind of direction that kind of thing that's you know that's the purpose of it so for sure yeah well do you want to get into it then sure yeah all right. Um, so I just want to say thank you for taking the time to speak with me. I know it was kind of last minute, but I really Absolutely. appreciate it. Um, and yeah, can you just introduce yourself, your pronouns, and tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do? Um, yeah, I'm uh, Ryan uh, Allison, and um, I'm just, I use he or they is fine for pronouns for me. Um I um I'm 40 gonna be 44 years old I uh was diagnosed with schizophrenia in 2001 um and since then I've been living on the bottom end of life and I wanted to share a little bit about my experience um and I guess how that's all affected me and uh, where I am now so well thank you for being open and yeah taking the time to speak with me um I know talking about mental illness can sometimes be tough um, and a lot of people don't want to talk about it. So I really appreciate your honesty. Um, yeah. So uh, if you want to go ahead and share your story, um, you can take the time to yeah do that now and we'll ask some questions later. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't normally get into a lot of detail about my, my psychotic break um, yeah. because it's too personal and it's, it's uh, it brings back, some really, really heavy stuff for me. Um, but I was diagnosed in 2001. I had my psychotic break in 2001 in Iowa City. Um, I'm a local guy. I uh, was uh, from, I grew up in the area uh, and then I was, I was living in Iowa City and uh, that's where I had my psychotic break and it was terrifying. Um, it went on for between two and three weeks unattended. And then, um, 
I tried to have a, I guess, a, a lunch with my family um, and uh, was psychotic enough to where I was unable to do that. Um, and I had a buddy who was similar to like a, like a brother figure for me um, who had some training in the mental health field. And he, he, he recognized some signs right away. Um, and he followed me to my car and just kind of got a glimpse of just how screwed up I really was. Um, and uh, I want to say about 24 hours later, uh, I was exiting my apartment in Iowa City and there were four cops that were there ready to meet me in the hallway. And I didn't really know why, but I mean, I knew I was completely fucked up. Um, and um, out of my mind, wasn't using drugs, wasn't, I was drinking a whole lot to try to slow everything down, but there wasn't any drug use involved. I wasn't using LSD, I wasn't using, you know, math, none of that, nothing. It was all natural and I didn't know what was going on. It was super scary, um, but I wasn't sleeping the last four days that I was out, uh, out in, in society, I guess. Um, I hadn't slept at all. And so I was sleep deprived and that was becoming a factor as well. And so they took me in and um, I didn't really resist. I mean, I'm one dude and I see four cops, you know, the numbers, the numbers there aren't good, even though I'm a big guy. So I just kind of, I, I don't know. I just, I, I turned myself over. I didn't know what the charges were. They didn't really tell me, but so they took me into the hospital and I had had a whole lot of alcohol. And uh, was it has started to actually kick in more once I got to the hospital there at the U of I, and um, they they brought me a piece of paper and said, "Hey, listen, the, the guy told me he said if you sign this, it'd be voluntary, and if you don't, we're gonna you're gonna stay here anyways, and we're gonna we're gonna put you in the psych ward either way. If you don't sign this, you're gonna be committed. He said you're gonna have a whole lot more freedoms if you sign this and, and go involuntarily." And so actually the cops were super cool. I, I gotta admit, I'm not a big fan of cops generally, but they were super cool. And they, they did me right. And anyways, that was the lot was the start of the long story that my life has been since 2001. So I went into the psych ward and I, I went in at like a fresh, you know, um, lean 200 pounds and I was fully psychotic and out of my mind psychotic. And um, they put me on um, antipsychotics right away. And all of my symptoms were classic paranoid schizophrenic symptoms. So I was not hard to diagnose, um, but I gained 40 pounds in a month. Uh, it, it, may have been, it may have been less than that because of, the, because of the meds. So I went from 200 to a kind of a pudgy 240. And um, right when I got put in my hospital, the first thing I asked for was uh, a carton of cigarettes because there was a smoke room back then. You could go into a smoke room and hang out with, 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 with folks in the, in the ward and um, smoke cigarettes. And so, you know, uh, you bum a cigarette from somebody and, and then next thing you know, you're smoking a cigarette with somebody. And then, but anyways, that was one of the first things that I, that I requested later on. I looked into it and found out that about 80 to 90 percent of schizophrenic smoke. Um, and there's been studies that have been done 
um, that prove that nicotine actually helps schizophrenic brain function. And so that's why there's such a huge disparity there uh, with the smoking um, as I light up a cigarette. <laughs> but uh, so anyways, so then that, that, that started out the long, I guess, drawn out period where I was in the psych ward, I got out, I had a relapse of my psychosis, of my, of my, of my psychotic break. I came back. So I was in for at least a month because I was, this is all new to me. I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know what was going on. And then I went directly to a facility, um, spent a year, a little over a year in the facility. And then I went into transitional housing and um, tried to live on my own. And with, um, I guess, being new to the mental illness and not really knowing how to cope along with substance abuse, I got myself into more trouble and ended up back in a facility for another year, year and a half. And then in 2004, ended up in a group home, which was similar to transitional, except I didn't have my own place. I had to live with other people. Um, and then it was, I was there for a, couple, a year, year and a half. And then in 2006, I got my own place. And then long story short, I had um, a lot of years there where I just, I've, I've struggled a lot. I also have an anxiety, a serious anxiety disorder coupled with my schizophrenia. So when you add the paranoia in with the anxiety disorder, it's really, really difficult to deal with. Um, but anyways, I was living alone and doing fairly well, I was working. Um, and then long story short, my stepdad died in 09. I, and I moved in with my mom um, in a place down closer to Anamosa and um, lived there for about four years and then got myself into a tough spot where I was not able to get to appointments because I was so severe with my symptoms and they discontinued my medication. So I was, I was forced to go off of my medication, even though I really didn't want to do that. Um, and then over a, about a two month period, um, I got more and more, I guess, closer to being psychotic and unstable and then eventually got committed. And then, so after all these years thinking, you know, I've kind of gotten this stuff under control and I was right back in, right back at the drawing board. I had gotten committed, spent two more weeks in the psych ward, and then got sent to a facility and spent nine months in a facility. So it was super, super humbling. Um, and then um, I got out and I was still committed for about nine months, out, outpatient committal, and was living with my girlfriend. And then um, the stress kind of broke us a bit. And then over about a year and a half period, we drew farther and farther apart. And then I, well, we broke up. I left and moved elsewhere. And here I am in subsidized housing um, in a small town. And I've been kind of, I guess you would say, in the, quite independent for, for the last five years. Um, but that's kind of my, that's kind of my deal. That's, that's where I am now. It's not, it's not a story of, Oh, I, you know, I found this, this miracle drug and I beat it. And I'm like, you know, now, you know, I'm working and I have all these friends and everything's good and, you know, everything's fine. It's not that way at all. I mean, actually, I'm still like in the middle of it. Um, so, you know, I'm living in subsidized housing. I'm not gainfully employed. 
um, I'm on food assistance, you know, um, I, uh, I get disability because of my mental illness. Um, I am in the negative every month financially. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I am, um, accruing credit, credit card debt. Um, you know, I, I struggle with all kinds of stuff still. Um, but here I am and, you know, uh, transparency, I think is, is, has to be somewhat key to kind of bring people into the reality of what it's like to live with a mental illness. Now, get, now, mind you, Micah, um, is that, that's how I pronounce your name, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Up. I am, I am going to be 15 years sober in February of 2022. <laughs> awesome. So, Mind you, I still have all these problems, despite the fact that I've stayed sober for 15 years. And that doesn't, that doesn't include I smoke weed, that doesn't include anything, like I'm clean off everything. So I have all these problems and have been sober for 15 years. So that's my situation. So I wanted to kind of, you know, ram home the sobriety part because that's how I'm able to maintain a lot of my stability, but yet still have all these problems and still struggle with a lot of stuff. Okay. So that's where I'm at right now as I sit in front of you. So. Right. I know I'm like newly getting sober again. I, you know, I'm under the impression that I'm learning that life just doesn't magically change just because you're sober. Um, you know, I still had a struggle with mental illness and it's still an uphill battle every day. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, well, things like, you know, hygiene, things like, you know, paying bills, things like, um, you know, wanting to go out in public and go to the grocery store, get your yeah. groceries, you know, things like getting your medication, things like, you know, things that a lot of people take for granted, things like, even like, how am I going to pay my electric bill or, right. you know what I mean? Like, um, I don't know, like, and then my housing situation is, is a situation where, you know, these apartments are not in great shape, you know, are these apartments going to close now? And do I, am I even going to be able to find a place to go, you know, if they do, if they do close now. So, you know, the challenges, you know, are just, they're real they're day-to-day -day and they're real you know and, and and like i said i wanna i wanna stress the fact that i i am very serious about my sobriety and i still have all these problems and so you can imagine if i were drinking and drugging yeah. how much more severe these problems might be you know so yeah it's it's real stuff man it's, it's real it's for real and so i'm not like you know I'm not in a better spot. Like, you know, I'm not coming to you like with this past experience. Like I'm living it right now. Right. For sure. <laughs> so. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely relate to that. Um, yeah. I mean, is there anything that you wish that would have happened over this, you know, the course of, you know, finding about out about your mental illness and kind of what's been going on in the last, uh, what has it been like 20 years or so? Well, one thing I, one thing that was a big factor for me was back in the day. And I say back in the day as though, like when I near the time when I first got diagnosed, um, things were pretty chill. Like when I was in the facility, um, the first couple of times, like it was actually a place you could live and like feel relatively safe. Um, and now I'm a big guy and, you know, but like when you're sleeping or something, you know, or, you know what I mean? Just in general, you know, um, 
anyone is at risk, you know. But back in the day, it was relatively safe. Now, huge disparity when I came back in 2013. Huge. And the psych ward was way different. At that time, K2 had hit big. And I don't know where it's at now. I think they've kind of outlawed a lot of it. Um, but K2 was basically a lot of people were losing their minds uh, by use, by smoking K2. And also meth was huge, a huge part of the reason why people were in the psych wards. They, some of them had mental illnesses, some of them did not. They had just used drugs to the point, you know, you can use drugs to the point where you fry your brain and actually create mental illness through drug use. That's not what I did, but some people do that. So that was, that was a, I guess, not a huge disparity, but a disparity. K2 had, was just ravaging Cedar Rapids. And um, so when I got to the facility after the psych ward, this is good times, you know, um, you know, it's always fun to go to a facility, you know, after the psych ward and not going to go home. But that's, that was my, that was my story. Now the psych ward had changed drastically. So um, there's lots of different issues that I can get into with the mental illness part. And I know that you like and are trying to bring light to reproductive health and reproductive rights. It's okay. Um, but all this stuff can, you know, does mesh together in certain ways. Um, but what they've done, and, and I'm guessing this is somewhere around the country, but Iowa ranks in the bottom, like the bottom, the very bottom of all 50 states for mental health services and mental yeah. health funding. And so that's something to be known. The other thing is, is that when I got into this, to this facility, what Iowa has done is they've conjoined the penile system and the mental health system. So what happened was, is I got there and it was no longer chill. It was no longer a place where I could chill and be okay and feel safe. It just wasn't that place anymore. And so I had to be on edge all the time. Um, the staff was extremely disrespectful. Um, I had all kinds of problems with the staff um, and I was on good behavior. I'm not a criminal. I don't have a criminal record. I was treated like a criminal the entire time I was in the psych ward and the entire time I was at, at this at this facility. Um, I'll try to keep keep some of the stuff anonymous because you know I don't want to be I don't want to get into too many specifics. Um, but I was treated like a criminal, and I don't have a criminal record. None, not no no record of any kind, and that was extremely disrespectful for me. Um, but there were people in that facility who should have been in prison for what they did. And also from what I was hearing, there's people in prisons now, a lot of the prisons who have done nothing criminally, who are, only, who are simply mentally ill and can are not dealing with their, with their symptoms well, who get thrown in prison. And so that is one of the huge issues right now that is super screwed up. Yeah. And something, you know what I mean? Like light, light needs to be shed on that whole deal too. So it was no longer chill, you know? And like I said, there were criminals in there with me. And there was also the, the threat of, you know, there was a threat of fights. There was a threat of stabbings. There was also the threat of people bringing drugs in, street drugs. And that was a huge change from the way it was before. When I first got diagnosed, you know, there was a little, obviously there was some pot, you know, but there was not, not any hard drugs, not any crazy stuff going on. And like I said, it was relatively chill and you could, you could kind of get through the days and, you know, feel okay. Not this time around, not this time around. We're talking eight years ago. I can only imagine what it's like now, you know, I don't want to know. 
you know? So that's one of the biggest things I noticed was that, like I said, you know, um, it was no longer a safe place to be and you no longer really felt safe to be there. Which psych ward were you in? Was it in the at the University of Iowa? No, it was in Cedar Rapids. In Cedar Rapids, okay, gotcha. The other thing I noticed too was that, um, so I would talk, I was, you know, I, would, I talked to a few people while I was in the psych ward. Um, um, actually a buddy who sadly enough passed away uh, from a drug overdose, I seemed to have like some sort of kind of psych ward draw for him. And every time I would go to the psych ward, he'd somehow be in the psych ward with me. Well, he was somehow in the psych ward with me again that time. And then later on, a few years later, died of a drug overdose on the streets of CR somewhere. Um, but um, what was my point? Oh, that they no longer really have places for people anymore. And, and this is probably more common, common knowledge. Um, if you know a few people who have been in the psych ward and whatnot. Um, but they don't have places to put people anymore. They don't have psych ward openings and much less facility openings. You know, I got lucky. I mean, if you want to call that luck to get put in a facility that actually had a bed for me, but I was talking to a dude who was, I don't know, we had some kind of music connection or something. He was into rock and I was like, all right, let's check out what you like or whatever. And we uh, compiled a list of band names of bands that we like. He was taken by ambulance from Fort Dodge to Cedar Rapids to be brought to the psych ward. They, Fort Dodge is three hours away. Right. He was taken by ambulance because they had nowhere else to take him to Cedar Rapids. And that's just one story of many. You know, but they don't have, a lot of times they, I mean, I, there are so many people falling through the cracks now. It's just absurd. Yeah. It's just absolutely absurd. So they're going to end up homeless. They're going to end up dead. They're going to end up, you know, ODing on drugs. Who knows? Or just let let back out. I don't know. They're going to keep them for 24 hours. I don't even know. Um. I know. I yeah. I know that there's a lot of um mental health closures. Um, and that was because of our governor, Terry Branstead. I had to do a Google search because I wanted to make sure I got the name right. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like the first thing also that's popping up is that like a lot of places are closing because of COVID. Um, yeah. So I can't even imagine what it's like. I mean, I have been in this like psych, psych ward a couple of times and yeah, this was pre-COVID, way before pre but yeah. this was not, I mean, this was not that that long ago. This was 2013 to 2014. So yeah. it's relatively recent. And I'm gonna I'm only gonna guess that it's probably declined even further since then. Oh yeah. Know? Um, because they continue, the governor and the and the uh, legislation of the state continue to underfund, you know, mental health. Yeah. And then my dog is being weird. Um, and then you'll have something like it doesn't we haven't had a lot of this in Iowa, but you'll have a, a, someone who will go out and, and um, perpetrate a mass shooting and they'll scapegoat mental illness. They'll scapegoat yeah. it every time, especially if it's a white person. They'll say this person was troubled. He was a lone wolf. He was, you know, he a lot of times they don't have mental illnesses, but they'll blame it on mental illness. Yeah. And they'll say, well, we've got to do better now. 
we've got to up our, you know, our mental health services. And then after that blows over, literally nothing happens. Nothing happens. They, you know, if any, if anything, you know, they probably year by year, just cut pennies off, just like, you know, just take pennies away from the, from the mental health services. It's real sad, you know? Yeah. It's real, it's really sad to see. You said you were treated pretty well by the cops that took you in. How did it feel, um, though, that they had to show up or that they were there? I mean, it was rough at that time. Like, you know, I didn't have any problems with the law. So, you know, and the fact that there were four of them, I knew pretty much they meant business. You know what I mean? So I wasn't going to I wasn't going to back down. I wasn't yeah. going to be like, oh, you know, I, I mean, even if I ran, they, you know, and I was in good shape, you know. I was still, you know, they probably would have, there were four of them, they would have probably beat me down with batons or something. So I was not dumb enough to think that maybe, you know, if I ran, so, and I was drunk. So I was like, you know, pretty, I was chilled out a little bit. So I was like, eh, yeah. whatever, take me in then. What are you going to do? And I knew it wasn't for drunk driving because I was standing in, in my apartment door, hmm. you know, I was standing in my apartment. So they couldn't get me on that. So I didn't know what it was. I knew I hadn't done anything wrong, but then they took me in and I was like, well, why and then i'm like yeah well i'm pretty i i didn't i didn't really know what was going on i was too screwed up like world war three was going off in my mind in my head it was crazy so um the the time in 2013 when they took me in they brought more cops there were like five or six cops there and there was other stuff involved and they straight up committed my ass my mom committed yeah. me and it was no more like a nice kind of a deal. You know, yeah. they would have paved my ass or shot my ass if I was, you know, not compliant. Yeah. So it, it went from being like, hey, buddy, you know, we're trying to help you to, yeah. you know, kiss my ass. Like, you fuck, you move, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fuck you up. It's to, not very helpful. Yeah, it was a totally different, a different thing. It was a totally different deal. Now, you know, nothing happened because I complied, but you know what I mean? If I, if I had been screwed up enough to where I would have tried to do anything, they would have either shot me or tased me or both. So, like I said, the main thing was it was no longer, you know, and, and keep in mind, this was nothing that I did wrong criminally. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't go off my, even going off for meds is not a criminal activity, you know? And so, and, and like I said, I was too screwed up to get two appointments. And so they can discontinue my medication. So I literally had to go off my meds whether I wanted to or not. Um, and so, you know, there was no criminal activity involved of, of any kind. You know, I, I hadn't broken any laws of any kind. And that's why I said it was completely different because they treated me like a criminal that day. They treated me like a criminal in the psych ward. They treated me like a criminal in the facility for the entire nine months I was there. And then, you know, I mean, it's, it was just absurd. Just fucking absurd, and I, that deserves enough bomb on that because you know I mean it was it, it's it's really gotten bad. There's a lot of real there's a lot of really decent non non-violent people who have mental illnesses yeah. who um, are just trying to do the right thing, and maybe they took a wrong step somewhere and got yeah. got you know kind of got out of line and and out of touch with the reality, and maybe they're using drugs. Uh, Non-criminal people who are getting thrown in prison and things like that. Yeah. you know and so or they're getting beat up by the cops or any number of things you know so it was it was just real sad to me more than anything yeah um yeah but uh 
trying to think of another. Um, yeah, so then, you know, like, I guess, so I can go into a little bit about how the, the, the lack of funding has affected kind of. Yeah, that'd be um, great. Me, like in the last five years, like being out and being like, well, I've been out for a while, but like I've been independent on my own, like in my own place, you know, without right. some toxic girlfriend for like five years. Yeah. And so I received services and um, through a mental health fund, a mental health, or a, a, I guess a state funded um, company who I see a caseworker through and who I see was seeing a doctor through, but now I see a nurse practitioner because they fired the doctor because they didn't have enough money to pay the doctor. And I had a really good doctor. So it really, 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 it really, it really tore me up that he had, that, that, that they had to let him go. So I've got a, I've got a, uh, an SCL worker, which is like, it's like a, that's a person who comes into your, comes to your place and, and kind of, you know, talks to you. They could take you places or they could help you, you know, do daily stuff like cleaning or stuff like that. Um, and so you have a certain amount of hours allocated every week or every month. And so she'll come twice. She would come twice a week or she does come twice a week. And she's been really helpful. And um, so I'll talk to her about stuff that I can't really talk about with, I guess, people who are just strangers or whatever, you know, um, she makes $11 an hour. She's been with the company for 14 years. Oh, wow. So she's making $11 an hour. And um, so when I started seeing caseworkers through this company out of a small town near me, um, they, were the, they were who I went with from the get-go because where I was relocated to with my girlfriend uh, was actually a town called Wheatland. Um, I, they were the closest provider, I guess, if you will. Um, and so I went with them and I went through like, I want to say I'm on like my seventh or eighth caseworker. And so, you know, like constant, like constant turnover, like just repeatedly over and over. So like what had happened in the beginning, like, you know, I would get to know some of these folks and I'd be like, you know, I, I would kind of, you know, find a connection with someone and then they, you know, someone else would show up the next time and be like, yeah, so Jerry, um, yeah, uh, yeah, he, we had to let him go. So I'm going to be the new person. And then I was like, you know, the first couple of times I'm like, oh, okay, you know, it's fine. You know, it happens. And then, uh, after like five or six times, I'm like, okay, like that was kind of like rotating as like time-wise for after I'd gotten in my apartment, it, it continued. And so after about the fifth or sixth time with different people, I told myself, like, I'm not going to be able to get like emotionally connected with these people because they're turning over so fast. You know what I mean? Like they're not coming back. They're, they're not staying with this company. And then, so I figured, so I, so I had to go back and I had to like, try to figure out why are all these people leaving? Like, why are they, why are they, why are they like, you know, why, why am I like finding these good people? And then they leave. And I felt, you know, like I just didn't have any connection. I didn't have anyone that I felt comfortable with. And then I realized they're getting paid with a bachelor's degree. They're getting paid like 12 bucks an hour mm. or 12 50. So that was the kicker. And so that is not a 
this company is cheap kind of a thing. That is a state funding issue because all of these, all of these companies are funded through the state, right? And the other thing that happened that Iowa has been really super great about, and that's heavy sarcasm, is the privatization of Medicaid. Mm. So they've tried to come in and make money off Medicaid. They've they've hired private companies, and I don't know if you know about this, Micah. No. But they've hired they have, they've hired private companies to come in and try to milk as much money off a public program like Medicaid that's designed to help the most needy people in our country. They've hired these snake companies to come in and try to profit off Medicaid. And that's why that the mental health system is in such shambles because it's underfunded and they've decided to privatize Medicaid. And so they're screwing all kinds of people. And so what you see is there's companies that come in and they leave, they come in and they leave and no one wants to stay because there's no money in it. Yeah. But the reality is you take something like defense and you realize that we're spending $740 billion a year in, in our defense budget, right? Yeah. And, and so um, it, it, it's all about priorities, man. You know, these people, no one cares about the mentally ill. And, you know, I was, I've always heard like growing up and stuff, I always heard like, you know, man, the elderly have it really bad, you know, like, you know, they, they, they get, they're living on social security, they, you know, they have Medicare and stuff, but, you know, they really, they really struggle to get by and, you know, they're very vulnerable. And I always respected that, you know, it's kind of like veterans or whatever, you know, if they're, if they come back with PTSD and they're on disability for it or whatever. And I always respected that very much until I became mentally ill and realized that it's almost impossible with what I get on disability. It's it much, much lower than what a social security recipient gets. It's almost impossible for me to even break even on a month, you know? And I, to, to have a car, um, you know, to eat like a relatively healthy diet, um, to buy just the necessities, you really can't even break even. And then, so, um, the other comp, so it, it gets complicated when you work because there's a cap. So the cap is around $1,100 is what you can make gross. Now that's gross. Keep in mind. So actually what $1,100 is going to look like is about more like $800, um, for net take home. And so what happens to me is my rent goes way up because I'm in subsidized housing. It's based on income. My food assistance goes away. It's yeah. gone. And I lose uh, a, a decent portion of my disability check or actually one of my checks. And so that's what happens to me. So I worked for about a year and a half and was cooking for $10 an hour and realized that I can't like legitimately make ends meet doing this. Like it's not really even worth my time because if you, once you, once you weigh in, the financial difference, like the difference between like not working and trying to get by on, you know, disability and having your rent low and having some food assistance and working and having all those things go, go away and make $10 an hour and work part-time, you really don't come out much ahead, yeah. you know? So it's just like almost impossible, no matter how you shake it, unless like I come up with some kind of like 
you know, I win the lottery. I mean, it was all like, you like hypothetical, like, yay, I'm gonna, you know, like come up with an invention yeah. and like you know, sell mops on Home Shopping Network or something because I came up with like some invention that like made me rich. And that's about the only hope you have, you know? So, I mean, it's, 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 it's just very daunting and it's not fair. And a, and a lot of these folks are falling through the cracks and it's super sad because I have a little bit of help like from my family um, and not a lot, but I have a little bit. There's a lot of people out there who don't have any fallback of any kind. And you really cannot survive on, on the disability that, that, that disabled folks get because social security recipients, like I'm talking about like um, retirees get a lot, get quite a bit more. Um, so I'm dealing with like 800 bucks a month to live on. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah, that's not anything. That's no. I mean, I can go to Walmart and spend like 250 bucks, you know, like on vitamins on, you know, I have a dog, you know, I might buy her a few treats in and, and like groceries and whatnot. Like, I mean, it's absurd. It's, you know, because I mean, if you want to actually eat healthy, you need to buy vegetables, you know, you need to buy guacamole, you need to buy, you know, I need to buy spinach, I need to buy stuff that, you know, is gonna, I mean, you know, it's ridiculous, you know, and they, people want to, you know, you want to, you want to eat, um, I guess, in a way that you feel like you're, you know, respecting your body and like you're, you know, um, that you can, you know, get quality health benefits from it. And that costs money, you know? Yeah. So. I know um, you said that they keep cutting the Medicaid. I had a conversation with a friend the other day and she said, the reason why she doesn't take higher paying jobs is so she can fit that pay bracket so she can keep her Medicaid because she's afraid mm -hmm. that if she makes more money, she won't be able to have health insurance. And that's the exact reason like why they because there are a lot of folks who'd watch this and be like, well, go out and get a full time job. You know, well, yeah. like, first of all, I'm not going to find a, a full time job that's going to pay worth the shit anyways, because yeah. I don't have any special skills. Yeah. Um, but okay, I go out and fi find a full time job. Well, my medication costs me two thousand to three thousand dollars a month. So if I'm in the same exact boat, so like you were talking about, if I lose my insurance, I'm completely screwed. Yeah. You know, I can't. And my medication is, I have to take it. You know, yeah. I mean, and then it, it's what it's what keeps me right. You know, and there's a lot of negative side effects, and I have to deal with that. But mentally. That's what keeps me sound, you know, helps keep, you know, it, it helps quite a bit, helps me keep me, keep me sound mentally. So I, I have to take it. Right. And so like, yeah, I can go out and get a full-time job. You know, people could say that, but you know, when you do that, your disability disappears and then eventually you no longer become eligible and eventually your uh, insurance disappears too, yeah. you know, so. That's really frustrating, especially when you're just, you want to take care of your mental health. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm doing the best I can, you yeah. know. It sounds like you're doing an amazing job, at least trying to hang in there, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, I think it's just one of those deals where, you know, like a lot of people just, they don't know. A lot of people just don't know. Yeah. You know? And so I think it's important to shed light on it. Um, but, you know, I mean, as far as how it's related, you know, to mental, to, to reproductive rights and whatnot, um, it's, it's all related, you know, it's all related together, you know, yeah. I mean, when you're in survival mode, which is what I've been in for a long, long time, you know, you, um, 
you make poor more you make poorer choices you know um you know you and i are lucky enough to be sober right now um but we don't have a guarantee that tomorrow we will be yeah. and so when you're in survival survival mode and you decide to go out and drink which is an easy thing to do and a lot of people do it for fun and then they still get by but some of us are, are not as good at controlling it or if you know you bring in a, a drugs like meth or you know um harder drugs you know you become more careless and you know um life doesn't matter as much and so you're more likely to go have unprotected sex and then all of a sudden like you know what i mean your partner yeah. is pregnant yeah. And that's how it all relates. You yeah. know what I mean? It, it's that we've got so many people in the pandemic has just magnified the situation. You know what I mean? And, and it's gotten way worse, but you've got so many people who are in survival mode that, you know, even condoms are not cheap, yeah. you know? And I mean, so, you know, I mean, people, but you get into this mode where you just don't really care anymore, you know? And I know you know that feeling. It's the feeling like we get when, like, we want to go drink. It's like we get into yeah. this feeling like we don't care anymore, fuck it all. Oh, yeah. Get into this mode where it's like it's self-destruct mode. Well, if, you know, having sex unprotected seems like a totally awesome thing to do, right? I mean, because it feels better and la-di-da-di-da. So that ties right into the survival mode part where people are getting, you know, um, uh, getting pregnant and with without you know without planning it and then you've got stuff like you like what we see with planned planned parenthoods closing and all of the the um the funding for sexual education things like planned parenthood has been providing you get that yanked and pulled away people are not learning about that stuff they're not getting their checkups they're you know planned parenthood would give away free condoms well you're not getting that anymore you know and so um, it all does tie in, you know, it all definitely ties in. But my, my stance is, you know, I don't have a girlfriend. I, I haven't gotten anyone pregnant, but I, I, that's the point of my, 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 of my argument here is that when you're in survival mode, you become at times very self-destructive and having unprotected sex becomes very much an easier decision when you're in that mode. Right. And a lot of people right now, Mike, are in survival mode. Yeah. A lot of people. Yeah. So. Cool. Um, so be before I let you go, is there any sort of things that people could do to advocate for, you know, mental health funding, um, people with mental illness or disability or anything? Um, I mean, you know, <laughs> It's gonna, it just, it, it, it's gonna take, you know, um, I think it's gonna take the average person, you know, to start electing officials who actually give a shit about mental health, you know? Yeah. And, um, and also things like reproductive health and also things like, you know, um, uh, things like um, um, Medicare for all, things like, uh, you know, um, uh, what do they call it? Uh, health insurance that is not for profit. Yeah. Um, things that are going to benefit, you know, the, 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 the people who are, are, I guess, most vulnerable in our society, you know, until that happens, you know, unfortunately, mental health is one of the first cuts to make because, you know, sadly enough, no one seems to give a shit about the mental health, you know, and um, so, you know, I would say for advocation, I mean, there's very little, there is very little. 
Um, but, you know, um, I, I, you just got to hold on to hope that, you know, um, thing people can, can change their priorities and start to get, you know, their shit together as far as like looking at, I guess, um, mentally ill people and um, the elderly and veterans and, you know, the, our homeless situation's a fucking nightmare, yeah. you know, um, you know, and so somehow in this country, when money stops becoming God and the rich don't continue to get away with not paying taxes and, and, and they, you know, are actually subsidized. They're not only are they not paying taxes, they're getting paid. Um, and so it's, it's real, it's a very sick system, very, very sick system. Um, but, uh, you know, our priorities have to change and they have to change um, relatively soon because it's, it's just, you know, a lot of people are hurting. And with the pandemic, what's happened is there's a lot of middle-class folks who have all of a sudden turned lower middle-class or poor. And yeah. so we're the, the wealth poor gap in this country. And, and the reason I talk more about this than anything is because it's the biggest problem. The wealth poor gap in this country has grown the, the gap has grown wider and wider and wider, and it's a bigger and bigger problem. And so people who, so maybe some people are waking up, people who were lower middle class, who were doing okay, are not, no longer, some of these folks are no longer doing okay. Yeah. And so, you know, at some point, people are going to have to get their priorities right. You know, it's just, it's just the way it is. But we're in a very sick society right now. And, you know, the kind of society that does things like, you know, takes funding away from Planned Parenthood and, you know, the kind of society where church and state are not, are not separate, you know, that's a theocracy where, you know, the constitution is very, very specific about separation of church and state. And so, you know, there's all kinds of issues, but the biggest issue that I see is there is the wealth, is the wealth poor gap. You know, we can bring in racism. That's another huge, huge issue. Um, you know what I mean? But there, I don't know, Micah. That's my story. You know, I have lots of, of opinions. And then, uh, you know, hopefully I can, I've, I've shed some light on, you know, the mental, the mental health system and, sure. and, uh, and how underfunded it is and how much of a wreck it is. Um, but it, uh, <laughs> it's not been an easy path um, living in the system at all. So yeah well thank you for taking the time to speak with me i really appreciate it yeah absolutely yeah. i'm glad i was able to do that yeah okay so that was our interview i hope you found it enjoyable um please feel free to reach out to me at reprosforiowa at gmail.com you can also find me on facebook and twitter and instagram for the show um it's just at repros for iowa i also have a patreon account set up if you feel like um supporting the show monetarily we do have stuff or i have stuff that i need to pay for um like zoom i hope to get a website put up sometime maybe get some merch made um but if not that's cool too um but yeah that's it that's all i have for you i will see you guys next saturday and until then stay safe and have a good rest of your day